Good morning. This morning we're going to read 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11. So if you'll follow with me, please. If any of you has a dispute with one another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is no, nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of the unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Debbie. Let's pray together before we receive God's word. Father, please speak to us clearly here now. Please help me to serve your people well. Please help us understand your word, but not only understand it, receive it and be transformed by it. Let it shape the way we think about one another and disputes among the church. Let it shape the way we understand our salvation and sanctification Let it shape our entire worldview, the things we love, the things we hate. Or may your word have its full effect on us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I always appreciate you praying with me before we embark on a sermon together. The question before us today is, what do we do when we are wronged by another believer? What do we do when we are wronged or cheated or hurt or sinned against in some way within the church? Either a fellow believer in our own church or not even a part of our church, but just a brother or sister in Christ. What do we do when this happens? Because you and I are not perfect, we're forgiven in Christ, and in God's eyes we're made perfect because we received Jesus' record, but in action, in reality, in our practical daily lives, we are not yet fully glorified. We're not perfected. And so we still struggle with sin, and we all struggle with different sorts of sins. And some of our struggles with sins are the type that hurt other people more than others. And so we're going to bump into each other, and we're going to hurt each other from time to time. Lord willing, we're going to grow closer and closer and closer together in real fellowship as a church. And because of our our imperfections, as we do, we may end up hurting each other. And some of you may have been hurt by churches or by church leaders or by somebody in the church before. Uh, It definitely happens. 
it definitely happened in Corinth. Uh, we've been studying through the book of Corinth, and now we, we hit chapter 6, and we've seen they are a deeply dysfunctional church. Uh, compared to Corinth, we look great. We look so healthy compared to the Corinthian Christians. They were a mess. If you'll remember, last week back in chapter 5, verse 11, we got a little sample of some of the issues that seem to have been present in the church. He mentions, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 5. No, no, I do mean verse 11. There's sexual immorality going on in the church. There's greed going on in the church. There's idolatry going on in the church. Uh, There's reviling going on in the church. Uh, Your translation may say slandering. It just means speaking abusively to or about people. There's drunkenness going on in the church. There's swindling going on in the church. So there was definitely people hurting each other and causing grievances and disputes among the Corinthian church. They responded very poorly. And that's what sets the stage for our passage today. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Paul writes, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? What Paul is pointing out is that when they have a problem, they're taking it to secular worldly courts to resolve instead of resolving it together within the church. And he says, how, how dare they do this? Now, you may have had friction with other people in the church, but I doubt many of you have had lawsuits against other people in the church, at least none that I'm aware of. I mean, it definitely can happen. But can you imagine, you know, some of you uh, on this wing of the church sitting there trying to worship while you're in the middle of ongoing litigation with somebody on this wing of the church and trying to have fellowship and worship in that kind of atmosphere? That's somewhat of what they had going on there. Now, before we get into the passage, we need to get our cultural mindset right so we can understand what we're talking about. Um, Most likely in this culture, litigation and public arbitration of disputes was very, very common. You have to remember, they didn't have Netflix, and they didn't have Facebook. And this kind of litigation and public arbitration was one of the main sources of entertainment for their culture. And everybody was involved. You would have tons and tons of people involved in hearing these cases and rendering a verdict. Um, Not far in Athens, their system was everybody in their 60th year became an arbitrator. Everybody who was 60 was someone that would arbitrate over cases. So everybody would have in their minds thinking in this way. They'd know when they got to be 60, they at least would be engaged in this. And often in not 60-year-olds, often many people got involved in this. It was just very, very common. Uh, You may think our culture is litigious. Theirs was very much more so. It's very, very common to deal with trivial disputes in public legal ways. And so the Corinthian Christians, they were used to that, and then they became Christians, and they just kept doing that. When they had trouble, instead of resolving it together as Christians, they would take it to public courts. Um, So while in the name of getting our, our minds set correctly to understand this passage. As we talk about this, it is very applicable to us. Okay, you may be tempted to think, well, I am never going to sue another believer. I've never sued anybody. And you may be tempted to sort of uh, phase out and daydream, but I promise this is very applicable to us, even if 
we don't ever take each other to court. It still speaks to the way we deal with disputes in the church, and it's very, very important. Now, a plain, quick reading of this might lead you to believe that there is never a situation in which church members should involve outside legal help in church issues, and that's not the case. There are situations where we must involve outside legal help. Uh, For example, if you guys catch me embezzling from the church, even if, if I point to this passage and say, no, 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 don't you remember on July 10th I preached this, so we don't need to involve outside legal stuff. Let's just deal with this as brothers. No, you need to report me to law enforcement, okay? If we ever, and Lord willing, this will never happen, but if we ever, if we ever have some case of abuse within our church or anything like that, we will and we must report it to law enforcement, okay? This passage is not saying that we're this closed community and that we do not have to ever do that, okay? What this passage has in view is interpersonal disputes, okay? And I want to read one passage to you from Romans to just solidify the fact that our legal apparatus here in America is a gift to us, and when the law is broken, we need to make use of it. I just want to make that clear so nobody gets a false impression and makes really bad decisions later on. So this is Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Uh, We'll read verses, we'll just do verses 1 through 5. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So there's so much we could talk about, but I don't want to get too sidetracked. I just do want to make that point clear before we get into this passage. Uh, don't be thinking about cases of illegal behavior in the church. Okay, what this passage in 1 Corinthians applies to is the more, uh, the more mundane grievances, um, the trivial, it even uses that word, disputes in which you've been wronged or cheated in some way or defrauded within the church. That's more what we have in mind here. And I think it'll become more clear as we go through the passage. Uh, But I just want to get that set first. The big idea is that as Christians, we have supernatural ability to settle disputes among ourselves. As Christians, we have supernatural ability to settle disputes among ourselves. Look at verses 2 through 3. Paul is so shocked that they're doing what the world does to settle their disputes and going to people outside of the church. And he writes, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 
And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? Now, he brings up some mysterious things here. Judging the world, judging angels. Now, he doesn't elaborate on it. I'm not going to elaborate on it much more than he does. I am going to point out a couple of passages that shed some light on what he's talking about. You know, being a Christian, it doesn't just win you forgiveness with God and eternal life. But in some mysterious ways, it it wins us an inheritance with Jesus Christ himself. And we're seated with him in the heavenlies in some mysterious ways. And so back in the Old Testament prophecies of Daniel in chapter 7, verse 27, he writes, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall, shall serve and obey him. Somehow it's as if we're going to rule with Christ. Later, Jesus, talking to his disciples in Matthew nineteen twenty eight, said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So here he's talking to the disciples, and he's saying something specifically to them, but it's this idea again of, you're going to rule with me. You're going to judge with me. In Revelation 2, 26-27, again, Jesus, in John's vision, says, The one who conquers and who keeps my words to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Now, these are things that I feel are just beyond our ability to fully grasp and fully understand. There's glories here that that deserve to be dwelled on longer. But Paul's point in this passage is not to fully articulate all this. His point is to point ahead and say, you Christians have a glorious destiny that greatly affects the expectations placed on you now. You are going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. So you absolutely should consider yourselves capable of judging between little interpersonal issues here and now. You are not incompetent to deal with disputes among yourselves. Far from it. What you have received through Jesus Christ is so glorious You now have supernatural capabilities of resolving disputes among yourselves. More than you've ever known before being a Christian. So you don't need to go to secular courts. You don't need to do it the way the world does it. You have a new way. There's a lot of research that indicates that people rise to the level of the expectations placed upon them. Especially young people, children, teenagers. Uh, when I first began the youth ministry, I was doing a lot of reading on this, trying to figure out teenagers and how to, how to be good with teenagers. And a lot of what I was reading showed, you know, if you expect your young people just to be a bunch of loud, goof-off troublemakers, that's probably about the level of maturity they're going to rise to. But if you come in and you clearly have an expectation that these are young men and women, not boys and girls, 
and that they ought to have at least enough maturity to be able to sit still and listen and be respectful, that they'll rise to that level of expectation. And I have found that to be true, just anecdotally. It, it is true that we tend to rise to the level of the expectations placed on us or sink to the level of the expectations placed on us. Here we see that in terms of dealing with conflict and disputes among us, the expectations are really high. It's a no-brainer. We ought to be able to handle that. It really shouldn't even be all that hard. One day we're going to be judging the world and angels. We definitely can take care of disputes among ourselves. I read a story during all that youth reading about uh, how they train elephants in some place in the world. I, don't, I never know if these stories are true or not, but it makes a good illustration for my point, so I'll share it with you. But they said that in places in the world, little kids could train elephants to basically be subservient to them, and they would train them to stay in one spot because when the elephants were babies, they would just take some twine and tie their leg to a tree or, or to even just something small But because the elephants were babies, they couldn't pull free and they couldn't go anywhere. And so those elephants through their early years began to learn that if I am tethered by a twine to this this small tree, I'm stuck. I can't go any further. And so even when the elephants grew to be huge and enormous, if they had a piece of twine tied around their leg to a, a small tree, they wouldn't even try to move, even though in reality they could destroy that tree and just walk off and be free. See, we've grown up in this world with this twine around us of inability to love people, inability to be gracious, inability to be selfless, inability to live for the benefit of other people rather than ourselves, inability to resolve things in a godly way. And so these Corinthians now, they're Christians, and they've been given all this. They're full-grown in a sense. And yet they still act as though they are bound by these worldly ways of dealing with disputes. And Paul's saying, you're not. You're not bound by these things anymore. You can pull loose of the worldly ways of dealing with disputes. You can deal with them as Christians now, as ones who will judge the world and angels. And the same can be said for us. Now, what I want you to notice, the fact that they were dealing with their disputes in a worldly way It wasn't just bad. It was shameful. Paul writes, I don't just want to correct this. I want to make you feel ashamed. Let's keep reading, um, starting verse 4. So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. I say this to your shame. Earlier, back in chapter 4, verse 14... He clarified, because he was writing some harsh things, and he clarified, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but I want to admonish you. But here he's saying, you should feel ashamed. Dealing with disputes among yourself should be so easy. You should feel ashamed that you're going the way of the world here. It would be better for you to absorb the wrong and just swallow it and accept it than for you to go to outside legal recourse for these disputes. That's what he says as we keep reading. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. 
Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded or cheated? See, they, they were failing in a fundamental aspect of being a Christian. And that is humbly seeking unity together in Christ. But it was a reflection of a bigger problem. It was as if the Corinthians were completely forgetting who they were in Christ. And that's been a problem reflected throughout the whole book up to now. We tend to do this. We tend to forget who we are as Christians. You know, in this life, identity crises can be some of the most painful and destructive times. You know, a lot of adolescents just trying to figure out who they are make some of the worst decisions of their lives. I think that's one reason why the whole uh, sexuality confusion in our culture is so deeply painful for people because it's, it strikes at identity. Well, if I don't know what gender I am, I don't know who I am. If I don't know about my sexuality, I don't know who I am. And it's deeply painful, and it, it's, it's very serious when you don't know who you are. And so as Paul's addressing this, he says, you guys have to remember who you are. And we've seen it in several different passages, and we see it again here. Let's keep reading at verse 8. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It was as if these people, their whole Christian lives had, I mean, their whole lives before being Christians, had learned these ways of living and ways of getting by and ways of dealing with conflict and just ways of survival. It's like they were orphans on the street just learning how to scrap by and live and Now they'd been adopted into a loving family with a good father, and they were still trying to live like orphans scrapping by on the streets. And Paul's saying, no, that's what you used to be. You used to live in these ways. You used to be dominated by these sins, and you used to have to deal with conflict in these ways, but that's not who you are anymore. That's not who you are anymore. Now you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You've been washed. You're clean now. You have nothing to hide now. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart as holy for God and giving a glorious calling now. You have no need to grapple for position in the church. You've been justified. You've been made innocent, made right before God. You have no need to defend yourself and get all defensive and try to self-justify. God has justified you. And not by human courts, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I want to land on that note of verse 11. In Christ... 
Christians, when we experience grievances and disputes, we must remember who we are. We are clean, sanctified, and justified insofar as we believe, trust in, and follow Jesus Christ. So we don't need to hide or grasp for position or justify ourselves and defend ourselves like we would have if we were in the world. But in open vulnerability and gentle humility, without self-justification and defensiveness, we can settle disputes as saints. Did you see it called us saints all through that passage? As saints, as brothers, who will one day judge the world and angels. We can expect to have some troubles as we go along to Christian life. It's very likely to happen. Maybe you're in some interpersonal struggle right now with somebody. But as much as we can expect that, we can expect to be able to resolve those together. We have been given so much grace in Jesus Christ that we can extend grace to one another. Any problem that may arise between us, between people of our church and other churches, any problem that may arise can definitely be resolved among Christians. That's the expectation. That's what we should expect. And that's a joyful truth to me. It's a very joyful truth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and how practical it is and how helpful. Lord, I pray that if any among us now are not washed and sanctified and justified in Christ, that you would bring that faith about in us. And Lord, I pray that those of us who are, that you would help us live in light of our identity in Christ. Lord, may we be reconciled reconcilers. May we be gracious toward one another. May we give each other the benefit of the doubt. May we be quick to forgive, quick to confess our sins. And Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts now if there is any sin in us that needs to be corrected, that we need to um, respond to and repent of. Lord, please make that clear to us. And may we be a united people among our church and among all of your churches. May we be a united people of love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.